Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, and responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. Welcome back to Life to the Full podcast, a message to Christians. Your host, the Zitos. Oh, yeah. Good evening, honey. Podcast recording, nighttime edition. <laughs> yes, this is the second time we record a nighttime. Yeah, and so we'll see how you do. Yeah, we'll see how I do. It's I uh, 5.57, but because we're in January, it feels like it's 10 o'clock at night. It does. It's dark. It's dark. Uh, hopefully, you know, no one opens up our door anytime soon in the studio. <laughs> oh, yeah. You mean the moms? Yeah. I meant, no, we, we have a curtain. I meant the other one. And the divider. Oh, my dad might come. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. No boundaries. Oh, boy. All right. Okay, well. Um, like welcome. a communist country looking for territory. No boundaries. Oh, that's a boundary joke. <laughs> that's cute. That's cute. This uh, Us Latinos, unfortunately, that's, um, that's how we rolled. That's how we roll. But anyway, well, if this is your first time, welcome to your podcast. Jim, do you want to give them a little recap of uh, Get Your Bible Back? Yeah, so we're getting our Bible back. We're imagining the Bible as this vast, unexplored country, or at least unexplored for us. It is inhabited with a myriad of creatures and characters and personalities and countries and lands with a deep history, all unique to itself. Uh, we want to try and imagine that when we enter into our Bibles, that's, we're, that's what we're doing. We're going to a different time, a different place. Cool. Uh, something that's not, you know, like we, we don't know it. It's mm-hmm. not as knowable as maybe we've come accustomed, accustomed to thinking of our Bibles as, oh, I know the Bible. Mm-hmm. I've seen those Charlton Heston movies, you know. I watched those Jesus movies when I was a kid. I've seen Prince of Egypt, <laughs> you know. I'm good. Uh, or maybe you've, you know, you've been studying the Bible for years and years and years. You're good at having those daily devotions, those things we like to call quiet times in our traditions. You really feel like you have your mind wrapped around the Bible and you know it. Uh, you know how to pick out scriptures here, scriptures there, to, and you feel like you have a good sense of practical application of the scriptures. We're trying to encourage everybody, that's great. Let's put all that to the side for a second. Yeah. And let's try and approach our Bibles with fresh eyes and a new perspective. The discovery process. The discovery process. <laughs> so I kind of imagined it to imagine that we're going to a national park. Right. Or one of the few wild places still left on this planet mm-hmm. that's accessible to normal people. We're not talking about Antarctica here or anything. Mm-hmm. And the first thing you would probably go to would be some type of ranger station mm-hmm. or some visitor center just to get acquainted. And if you were lucky enough, you'd encounter somebody who was like a seasoned guide who could give you some tips and tricks to kind of get the most out of your time there. They would know weather conditions. They would have their pulse on, you know, what's going on. I remember going to Yellowstone or Yosemite and those people were invaluable 
when you got there to really finding the best places to go and the best things to experience. They would even even access an access. They would even assess your health and wellness. Hmm. You know, are you going to climb Half Dome when, like, you know, like the most walking you've done is to and from your desk every morning because <laughs> you happen to work from home? Mm-hmm. No, that's probably not what you're going to do, mm-hmm. right? But maybe there's a better trail, something that's more accessible, where you can really get the best out of the park and your time there. And looking for guides when going into the Bible is no different. They're mm-hmm. useful. They're valuable. Uh, they're no substitution for going on your own journey. Right. You know, you don't want to be a, a commentary junkie mm-hmm. and just read biblical commentaries or books on theology or, you know, books for popular audiences like the Max Licatos or the Elridges or whoever else people read. Yeah. You know, you don't want to just read books about the Bible. You don't want to just listen to podcasts about the Bible. You want to be able to go in and experience it on your own. Or imagining, okay, here are some things that you might want to keep in mind. Just like if you were going off into a desert journey or a journey into one of these parks that we're kind of using in our metaphor here. Maybe you want to bring a snack. Maybe you want to bring some water. You want to bring a map. Um, you want to make sure you have your phone. You have a charger for your phone in case you get lost and all types of fun stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So we looked at some five no statements from our friend Christer Stendhal. And again, his essay, Why I Love the Bible, is going to be linked in this episode as well. Uh, we looked at It's Not About Me, right? Where it's like you have to remember that the Bible is a gift to you, but it was not written for you. It's something you want to always keep in your mind as you're reading this. Even when the Bible seems to be directly speaking to you, it's not. It's uh, for y'all. It's for y'all. <laughs> um, number two is it's not always as deep as we think. Sometimes, like, you know, we want to go in and we want to pull it apart like it's a legal text or we want to find, like, the A plus B equals C. We want to look at it like a formulaic. How am I going to prove things using the Bible as my proof text? Mm-hmm. It's not like that. It doesn't act like that. It's mostly stories and poetry. And if you ever tried to win a legal argument with poetry, mm-hmm. it doesn't work. Like, if you get pulled over by a cop and he's like, sir... Do you know how fast you're going or do you know why I pulled you over? And you're like, roses are red, violets are blue. Please don't give me a ticket because I love you. Oh, wow. You came up with that one. You're definitely going to jail. (laughs) Jail. (laughs) Driving fast? Jail. Jail. Driving too slow? Jail. (laughs) Charging too much for sweaters? Jail. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's the name of the comedian? Uh... I don't remember his name, but he's from uh, Portlandia. Portlandia, yeah, and and Nassau. Oh my goodness! I oh yeah, he name. was the main person from Portlandia. Yeah, but it's not from Portlandia. That was from Parks and Rec. Oh, that scene, the Venez- yeah. Venezuelan. Yeah, uh, he was like a Ve- Venezuelan Parks and Rec. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Delegate. Something. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I guess that's funny that we're talking about parks and, and rec. This. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all it's all linking up. There we go. The third thing we want to keep in mind is even Paul isn't always sure. I think because of uh, the style of writing that Paul is engaging in, it could seem like, you know, Paul is very quotable. It can be very easy to go into one of his letters and look at it at it as a piece of, you know, systematic theology. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to get to get some things here, some verses I'm going to pick out, and I'm going to be able to construct my life, construct my church, or help people using these verses that I've picked out. 
uh, we kind of showed that that's not really how Paul works, right? Yeah. Paul is writing what's called occasional letters, mm-hmm. which means that, you know, he most likely had no idea that we'd still be reading these years and years later. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, you know, but that's not really the point. These were letters to specific people. We're only getting half of the conversation. Uh, we're missing letters. There was no interpreter there to deliver the letter to us like there would have been. So when they were like, wait, what did Paul mean by this? And then there would have been someone there to answer that question. So we don't have that luxury. Mail carrier. Mail carriers. I learned yeah. that today. Yeah, there would have been someone who was bringing the letter. Yeah. Right. And uh, so the ones that I remember, Phoebe, Anisimus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Anisimus was a slave. No, I read that in, uh, in my notes today. Oh, yeah. From um, maybe, the yeah, maybe. class. Oh, okay. Yeah, but the ones that popped up to me is because we know somebody named Onesimus. Onesimus. Yes, 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 you're right. And Phoebe from the show Friends. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. And there's more, but I don't remember them. Yeah, so just putting Paul in its proper context. I think Paul's genius is he's taking the Hebrew scriptures in light of what's happened with Jesus and the gospel, and he's applying it to a Gentile Jewish audience. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we emphasize the Gentile audience of Paul, and that's probably not completely accurate. You know, there were Gentiles and Jews that he was speaking to. And just really seeing what Paul was really trying to do, Paul was trying to bring unity, not division. And so a lot of his letters, really all of his letters, when you really know how to read them, they're appealing to people to come together and not be divided yeah. over things that don't really matter. Yeah. Right? Like points of doctrine or points of we do things this way you know we follow apollos or we follow paul like yeah and to be more specific to our audience we're talking about like the denominations of christianity yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. yep so even paul isn't so sure it's number three number four is which is what we're going to talk about today this might seem a little bit weird but don't be so uptight Wow, he loves to tell me that. (laughs) Since we were going out. So I think there is this um, philosophy or way of thinking that our responsibility as Christians is to guard the gospel. Is to protect the Bible from people who are going to mistreat it. Or people who are going to make it say things that it's not trying to say. Or, you know, like, we need to protect... The gospel. There can't be any room. When I say the gospel, I mean we need to protect the Bible, mm-hmm. right? There can't be too many questions. We can have some questions. We can't have too many. We're not comfortable with that. Um, here, here are some things that are on the table that we can talk about. But here are a bunch of other things that we we can't talk about. You have an example. So an example would be really. I mean, how how else do you think we get denominations? You know, we split. Over issues. Mm. Yeah. And so... Like Like baptism. Like baptism. You know, and I think I've heard it said in our own tradition, you know, there are some things that are salvation issues, Mm. and then there are some things that are debatable. That's true. You know? Like um, mutuality. Mutuality. That's uh, the position that men and women are created equal. Back to Genesis. They're supposed to be partners. Mm -hmm. Reign this world. You know, maybe there's something more there than the few verses from Paul that, you know, a lot of us have 
come to conclude that means women can't preach, women can't lead. Maybe there's, you know, something that we're missing mm-hmm. in the scriptures there. Yeah. So I have heard this specific topic uh, between a few people where they said, okay, I, I see that you are talking about mutuality. That's not a salvation issue. So it's okay. Oh, I see. That's where so that's I That's like meant. a debatable matter. Exactly. I that's see. what I was saying with that. I see. Yeah. And it all depends on your point of view. From another point of view, that could absolutely be a salvation issue. Mm-hmm. You know, because it seems in places that Paul is clearly saying that men and women, even though that they're equal, they have different roles, and women aren't even allowed to speak in church. Yeah. You know, which that would be a really quiet church service. You couldn't even have women singing, right, if you took that to a certain level. Um, yeah, so, you know, people divide over these issues all the time. You know, well, my Bi- when I read my Bible, I clearly say... I clearly see this. Mm-hmm. And then someone else reads the same Bible and like, no, 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 no. There's this. Right. And instead of being able just to, you know, live in diversity or come to some sort of, you know, agreement about it, we easily divide over those issues. Yeah. Okay. I, I see that. No, I mean, you brought up a good point the second you said why there's so many denominations. And yeah. they have been on... the division or disagreement on their creed right? yeah going back to uh what episode was this it's like our pov episode yeah pov episode i want to say episode five but i'm not sure that's in uh season numero uno numero uno <laughs> or numero dos <laughs> it was the first season oh wow it was in, um it's for l for listening and staying curious yep mm-hmm. yeah and understanding that everyone has a point of view mm-hmm. you can't escape it yeah and what's yours yeah, and you do a great job talking about like the history of church, which it would be good to bring it up at one point or another, yeah. or even create videos for that. And uh, I know I promised by the end of January, so I am hoping to keep my promise in making this podcast yeah. a video very soon. And I think you know being too uptight or holding your doctrine too closely mm-hmm. or too with you know too firm a grip. Yeah. It, in one sense, puts you on a defensive against the entire world Mm. or against the rest of the family of Christ, right? The rest of the church family, the rest of her church history. Because it's putting you in a situation where you constantly uh, feel like if someone doesn't believe the things that you really feel like are important, like these are salvation issues, you know, if these things are taught, people are in danger of going to hell, Right. Or people are in danger of, you know, losing their Christianity or not becoming a, not being a real Christian. You know, who's the real Christian here? You know, it can put you on a defensive footing um, when it comes to the rest of Christianity. It sounds a, a lot about why we made the decision not to be at our, our church. Yeah. Um, and then for us to take, to take two steps back or even to reconsider... Um, because in a sense, I, I did, I do. There's like a war inside of me wanting my friends to know about heaven and earth, and right. not to get so consumed about heaven, the ticket to heaven, and the avoidance to hell. Yeah. So this uh, this is bringing it all back uh, in a big circle, and then even more to taking a look at me. Yep. Um, 
and now we started this podcast, a transformed life starts with the transformed person first. Um, and so last week you, you said, are we using the scriptures to bring the world back together or are we using the scriptures to divide? And so when you said that, it was reconsidering our decision and our commitment to bring people together. And so being in a church that is putting limits on who's in the church and who's not does make it difficult. Yeah. And um, so what do we do? Right? And it's a bigger responsibility for me personally to rely on my on my own studies and right. not even on yours as my husband, right? Yep. Now that you're in seminary in school and or even on, on the Bible Project or yeah. the, the Bible for normal people, I could rely on on Tim, I could rely on Marty from Bema, I could rely on other people's information. Right. And um, so taking this Ephesians class, this will be the second class, the Noah class that I did, I didn't finish. But I did yours, which is great. Um, you mean Jonah? Did you say Noah again? Did I say Noah you again? You keep saying it's a Noah class, or it's the book of Noah. I keep saying that. Is there a book of Noah that you know about that the rest of us? No, you keep mocking me. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, so even, like... You know, even taking the class and then yeah. going back and taking some notes and reading about the mail carriers and um, getting to find out that, you know, Paul and scholars of that time or the ancient scholars, that's the word, right? Like uh, using a wax tablet of mm. wood. That to me was um. even more exciting than the class, like for me to go and just get to know what life would have been back then. Sure. Right? Without looking it through my American glasses or lenses. Yeah. Um, yeah, even though I'm from Peru, you're right. It's like, you know, Catholic. And I've lived in this country way more than Peru, you know? So... Yeah. Yeah, so just... So becoming less uptight about, quote-unquote, helping others to see the Bible... Uh, as a unified story that leads to Jesus mm. and as people's personal contribution to the new humanity. Yep. It's got to be how I'm doing that. Yeah, absolutely, and, yeah. And how I'm taking responsibility uh, on in, in my own personal journey as I'm, as I'm learning how to read it. And so, again, I'm going to... Until you have your class, I'm pushing how to read the Bible from the Bible Project. Yeah. Because yeah. it's very important. And I think we're building there. I think there might even be some stuff that we'll be able to do as you've, you know, recommended to me that we may, might even be able to do on the podcast. We might be able to have like, it wouldn't be the same as having a class where we'd all be together in the same room or, you know, you'd be doing homework. I know how much you guys love homework <laughs> out there. Uh you know, or, but it would be, you know, equivalent in a sense that we'd get to have a conversation about some of these things. Because it's funny, because a lot of these topics that we're talking about even right now, they were part of a class that I did recently on, you know, how to read the Bible, um, 
how to see the Bible differently. We use the book of Jonah. Rethinking the Bible. Rethinking the Bible. Yep. Mm -hmm. Rethinking the Bible. And we use some of these statements. But these statements as guides, we talked about, I think, like maybe five minutes each. And we've had like an hour long conversation, at least, about all of them. And uh, I feel like this deeper conversation is actually helping people more than even the way we were able to just do it in the class. small bites. Yeah. Like I said, I believe you have four classes. It's material worth for a year Yeah, uh, to dive in. I I was learning. I I learned a lot. I did it with like a a beta group, I guess you would call it. It's okay, honey. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm good. I'm good. Easy breezy. Easy breezy. He doesn't look easy breezy. (laughs) (laughs) So I think... When you when you adopt a certain doctrinal position, position, and your doctrinal position is, I need to defend the truth. Mm. If there's no, if this truth isn't in the world, if it's not defended, people are in danger of hell, right? You know, like we can up the stakes like that. Even though we we've seen in our own studies, it's more about heaven and earth, right, than heaven and hell. Um, uh-huh. you know, you it can it can put you in a situation where you're you're constantly playing defense. You're, you're constantly worried about, are, are people thinking the right things? Do they believe the right things? Mm-hmm. If you go out into the larger church arena with multiple churches, multiple denominations, you can kind of feel like you have to uh, point out to people where they're wrong mm-hmm. and where you're right, right? And if you can imagine even in our marriage, right, because I know this will shock a lot of people, but we sometimes fight. <laughs> sometimes? Sometimes. Daily. Every day. Um, we sometimes see things differently. Mm-hmm. And if we went into that conversation, you know, trying to convince each other of how right we were, we really wouldn't get much in our marriage. Because mm-hmm. sooner or later, someone needs to listen right. to the other person. Someone needs to be willing to change their mind. Or someone needs to be willing to be like, well, maybe I don't have all the information here. Maybe I don't know everything that I think I know. I haven't necessarily changed my mind. I've intentionally have decided to let it go. Yeah. It's very different in changing my mind. Or, you know, like maybe the things that I, 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 the meaning that I ascribe to your actions don't actually really mean what I thought they meant. I don't follow. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, like you might not necessarily have to change your mind necessarily, but you still have to listen to another person's point of view. And sometimes hearing where someone comes from can change Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. the emotions that you're feeling. Or put it at ease. Yeah. You or know, put it it's, at ease. it's on the table. Yeah. So now because it's on the table, you're gonna be able to step back yeah. and together we, we take a look at it. Take a look at Instead it. Instead of like in our heads trying to prove to each other. So exactly. it's it's um and I know I keep going back to coaching and language, but when, when we put the story in a piece of paper, it allows mm. us to step back and look at the story from here instead of, like, right here in your yep. face. Yeah, and, and your, your language coaching, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, all that is true. And I think when we look at the macro level with churches and our places in churches, we can get like that. But I think what people don't realize is that they can also be like that with the Bible. They can go in the Bible holding on to their theology too tightly. Mm-hmm. And they either read the Bible as if the Bible agrees with them. Or they read it looking for ways that make sense to them. They want to like make it make sense the way they, they think it's supposed to make sense. 
or they get really bent out of shape or actively avoid the areas of the Bible that seem to disagree with them. So I believe that it's a strength with it's a strength of yours and maybe we could talk about that in a sec in like maybe in more detail. Uh, this is what I read today. This is from Tim Mackey's class on the authorship of Paul's letter. Um, however, these are the writings of Randolph Richards, Paul and first century letter writing. Okay. So Tim pulled a quote from a book. Yeah. And the book's title is? Paul and first century letter writing, Secretary's Composition and Collection, 2004. Cool. Nice. All right. So it says, the modern misconception that Paul wrote in solitude producing a single un edited draft or the Paul used a secretary to whom he dictated his letters word for word and then sign and send the original draft. This mental image is completely out of sync with everything we know about letter writing in the ancient Greco-Roman world of the first century. And that was like, even the word secretary. What do most people right now think of a secretary? It's a female position, right. admin, line staff. Mm-hmm. When I go back into YMCA history, the first secretaries were men. And those titles, there were, they were executives, but the title was called secretary. Right. And now we go back here. Oh, this is way different. This is not like even understanding the process of writing a letter. You know, um, further down, he talks about it took about 2,300, I guess, in today's dollars, right, to write and send letters. Yeah. When I paid like 35 cents to slap it on the pizza envelope and send it to somebody. Right. So it's way different. And we think of Paul of the 21st century. Yeah. So, anyway, I wanted to read that because I forget what I said before that. <laughs> yeah, there's a famous painting by, I think it's Rembrandt, of Paul. You know, he, he was imagining Paul writing his letters. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, it's almost like there's a spotlight on Paul. And he's at a big, dark desk in a big, dark room. And he's all by himself with a pen. Well, like, you know, the feathery pen, the quill. And like that did not come out at that of, time. Reams of paper, exactly. <laughs> and N.T. Wright actually used that as the cover for his book, mm-hmm. his uh, biography mm-hmm. of Paul, right? Called I just I think it's just called Paul. And he even I remember him even saying that he chose it as the cover because he just he loved he's always loved that picture. Hmm. But that wasn't the reality of how Paul wrote his letters. Right. It was actually you probably would have been great. At writing letters in the first century. Because the way that they most likely did it is a whole bunch of people. Like Paul had a, his team. And they were all in a room together. And over a course of like many days, if not weeks, they sat around and they talked about what should be in the letter. Yep. And they probably had like material that they had written for other things. Over periods of time. Over periods of time. Kind of mm-hmm. a collecting. And the way we would like copy and paste yeah. on like a modern day computer or word processor... Uh, they would like take some of that work they had done before and stitch stuff together and made it more appropriate um, until, you know, finally a scribe would be there who was trained at writing 
trained at writing very well, would uh, write all those thoughts down in its final form. But until then, it existed in like pieces. You can think of it like all over the the wall, over the room, uh, even in people's heads, until it came into its final form. It's interesting because that's what this 21st century or the past few centuries wants to portray a piece of literature or a piece of art or a song. And the reality is that every masterpiece that has been created has been drafted and crafted Mm -hmm. over a period of time. Mm -hmm. Such as even speeches and Martha Luther King. Everyone knows him. I had a dream. And we know him as this powerful speaker. Right. And then we miss something. He's reading. He's drafted that speech over a period of time. He's made that. He's made edits. He's clarified. He's made it tighter over a period of time. Same thing with songwriters. Same thing for anything that's a masterpiece. However, that's not what we show the world. We think of these people getting rich overnight and all this, all this success. And no, it, it happens slowly and it's called a process. There's a process to masterpiece. And now as you mentioned that, that's what I've been doing with my goal setting workshops. You know, it's like I've been talking to elementary school students about this in Wacky Wednesdays. And it's interesting because here we are and here I, I, five minutes ago said, we're comparing that to today's people, uh, today's writers. But I'm talking about that it's a very similar process when we create masterpieces that literally change the path of the world. Yeah. And that, that in itself, it's... It's magical. <laughs> mm-hmm. And even like, uh, you know, famous authors who, you know, like only their name is on the book, like a Stephen mm-hmm. King mm-hmm. or something like that. You know, they'll tell you themselves they have a group of people yes. that they've assembled A writer's room. Not even necessarily a writer's room, but you, like in a lot of their cases, like a reader's room. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like they'll have people around them yes. that'll read their stuff and comment on it. Yes. Orson Scott Card, who you wrote Ender's Game. Okay. And, uh, you know, a whole bunch of other, you know, classics of science fiction and fantasy. Still writes to this day. Um, I don't even think, I don't think he's really that old. I think he's like in his 50s or something like this at that point. Anyway, uh, Orson Scott Card, he talks about in his book on writing about how his wife is like his primary reader. And she's his primary reader reader because uh, outside of his books, she doesn't read science fiction. Or fantasy. So he's like, if I can make it interesting for her, I know I can make it interesting for everyone else. It's how I compare and I have you watch my YouTube videos. Yeah. If you yawn in the first minute, <laughs> oh, gotta do it again. <laughs> I bored my husband to death. I am so sorry. No, no, it's good. But that, make, that makes sense. Yeah. We're kind of getting a little off topic here. But just to, just to bring it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, just understanding that I think... When you go into reading your Bible in a defensive position, okay, I don't think a lot of people even realize that they're approaching the scriptures in this way. You know, one because we're usually like pulling out one verse here or there, or we're we're taking a few lines and we're really 
we're trying to go deep and trying to find a practical application uh, of, you know, whatever it is we're reading, you know. But I think when we go into the Bible full force and we just read it, large chunks of it, you know, we we have to kind of lose that armor, that invulnerability of like knowing already what the Bible is going to be saying to us. Like we already know what the Bible is telling us to do. When we read it, we're just like reinforcing what we already know, right? Or we're looking for something that's going to help us prove our point, Hmm. you know? Where what I'm suggesting is that going into the Bible, imagining it like this land, this country, this planet, this thing that we get to explore, is that when you go on a voyage of discovery, that means you don't know what's around the next corner. You don't know what's over that mountain. That's why you journey over the mountain. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's across that ocean. That's why you get on a boat and you go. Because you want to see. You know? When you visit another country, uh, you might read all the books you want about that country. Right? But you're not really going to know what it's like to be in that country until you go into that country. Like, we recently went to the World Cup in Russia. Right? And, like, a lot of our friends thought we were going to get kidnapped. (laughs) By Russian spies. We thought about it too. Or that it was going to be super dangerous and, you know, like the government was going to be super corrupt and we were going to be in danger for our lives and we had to be really careful. And we had a fantastic experience in Russia. We felt like, wow, this place is a lot cleaner overall than a lot of cities. They build things right. From home, right? Here in the United States. Um, You know, the people were mostly very kind, mostly very accommodating. Mostly very, like, just excited. Hospitable. Yeah, very hospitable. Great word. They were so excited that we were there, you know, and um, that we had come to visit their country, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and it was a great opportunity for the World Cup. So just going into the Bible, not looking to defend your theological position, because what ends up actually happening is then you're actually almost like defending yourself from the Bible. Like, the Bible might be trying to lead you some places. The Bible might be speaking into you and forcing you to question certain things. But you can't even hear it. You can't even experience it because you're so busy building up your mental architecture to make the Bible say what it's what you feel like it's always said. You know? Um, it's one of the things that drives me the cr- craziest about, um, I think they're called, like, creationists. Or people who, you know, think the Bible is a science book. You know, like the the earth is only 5,000 years old. Uh, it's obviously flat. Or, you know, I mean, I might be exaggerating there. But there were, you know, there was a worldwide flood. And we could prove it in geology. Because then they go into the natural world with their air quotes science. And they take all those facts and they make it, they make it, uh, say what they already know it says. Like, oh, there was obviously a worldwide flood. So I'm going to take all these things from geology and I'm going to put it all together so that I can show that there was a worldwide flood based on air quotes evidence. Right? What do you mean by air quotes? Like I was being sarcastic. But you said that they can't see my air quotes. <laughs> when I do air quotes yeah, when we're talking. Yeah, that was in a different yeah. episode. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm trying to make sure I say air quotes so people know I'm doing quotes. You know, and like a real scientist goes into the natural world and constructs their theories based on what the evidence is telling them. 
right? Just know what science is. That's what science is supposed <laughs> to be. And I think when we go into the Bible, it needs to be the same. Yeah. How dare we try and tell the Bible what the Bible is supposed to say? Mm. You know, the Bible has lasted this long for a reason. There's been different cultures. There have been different values associated with those cultures. There's different ideas, thoughts, different cultures. The Bible has lasted this long because it speaks into every culture, into every time, and it forces us to look at ourselves. The Bible does not need you to defend it. It's been doing quite fine on its own. (laughs) It hasn't lasted this long because of the church. The Hebrew scriptures were around way before there was a church. These New Testament documents were written way before there was a church, right? But back when we were all a bunch of Jews, you know, that followed Jesus, that were trying to spread the good news to a bunch of Gentiles, you know, way before there was a pope, bishops, priests, evangelists, denominations, the Bible was doing just fine on its own. It doesn't need a champion. It doesn't need someone to defend it. It's been doing fine on its own for thousands of years. So the distinction there is when you're going into your Bible, right? I think only you would know this as you're going in. When you're reading it, are you thinking about okay, this is going to be really, really great to help so-and-so with something? Or are you looking at it like, oh, I need to find a thing to do? Or when you're reading it, you know, like you're backing, you're making sure you back up everything you already know that whatever it is your denomination believes is the dividing line between what really makes a Christian and what's a fake Christian. Like maybe it's baptism or maybe it's, you know, praying Jesus into your heart. Or maybe it's something else that you have determined that you know a real Christian by a fake Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, I know me personally, whenever I learned about a new church or I experienced a new author, right? I would always want to go and I want to find out what do they think about baptism? Because I, I want to know if they're a real Christian. Mm-hmm. I want to know if this is a real church. Mm-hmm. I sensed, I, I have since, you know, evolved my position. On this, I try not to concern myself with the things the Bible's not really concerned with. If the Bible cared so much about what we did and what makes a real Christian or or not, and like, you know, we need to determine that and get all the haters out, I think the Bible would have been much more clear on those on those fronts. But I feel like what the Bible is very, very clear on is that we need to all use the Bible and use the scriptures and use the spirit of God to help bring everything back together and stop dividing each other along these lines. So when you come into the scriptures, really experience it as it was meant to be experienced. If it was poetry, poetry is meant to be poured over and thought through and considered, right? You read it feel and felt Right, you should feel Mm -hmm. the thunder, you should feel the lightning, you should feel the wind. Mm -hmm. Right, when you come to the stories, you know, imagine yourself in the story, imagine yourself being in Moses' shoes, in the Israelite's shoes. Right, experience it like it's a character in a story, and let that story change you the way all great stories 
do. You know, I think, you know, the Bible is written by a bunch of literary geniuses, mm-hmm. as I've heard your friend Timmy <laughs> say uh, on multiple occasions. And I think like all literary geniuses, their stories have staying power because even if they were written 100 years ago, 200 years ago, or in the case of the Bible, thousands of years ago, they still speak to us today. It's the power of storytelling. Yeah, and they speak to people beyond the walls of Christianity. You can go to college and get a degree in literature and study the Bible. It's a beautiful piece of literature. I think people don't realize that, you know? Just because it's the Bible, we expect to open it and God to like you know, speak directly to us. And that's not the way he's chosen to speak through his scriptures. There's stories, there's poetry, right? There's things that if you were going to tell someone directly, if you were going to, if you came to me and said, Jim, or I guess you would say Jimmy or honey, honey, how do I get to this place? And you wouldn't be asking me that anyway, right? Because <laughs> I have no sense of direction. So let's reverse the story. I came to you and I said, honey, how, how do, what's the best way to get to this place? Even though I grew up on this island. Right? And you've only been here like 10, fif- years. 10, 15 years or whatever. You know? And instead of giving me directions, you went, well, it's funny you should ask that. Because once upon a time, there was a princess <laughs> who lived in a tower. And she was in prison in this tower for hundreds of years. Like, it'd be like, what? What do you, I just, I want to know how to get to the school where we're running this program. Could you help me out? You know? I- I'm getting there. I'm getting there. After I tell you this story, you know, it's like, and that's the way the Bible works. The Bible doesn't go in and say, you need to do X, Y, and Z. The Bible tells you a story. And I want to encourage us all as we go into the Bible, as we go into the scriptures again, like it's the very first time that we learn to appreciate them as the wonderful stories that they are, these amazing epic poems that they are, and we really feel it. Um, at this point in the conversation, I always like to recommend uh, one of Peter N's books because it really helped me. I have not read any of his book. Which one is it? Um, this is called The Bible Tells Me So. Why Do we def- have it? It's in the library? I think I rented it from the library. Yeah. And it's even just the title itself, it really spoke to me because I had gotten to a point where I had gotten very frustrated with the scripture verse um, theology that I felt like... I had been taught, you know, in a tradition that we're a part of. Um, and I felt like there was more to it than than just that. Mm-hmm. So I stopped just picking out the scriptures and like going from, you know, scripture to scripture to scripture to create an argument or a point. And I just started reading big chunks of it. And it completely changed my life. I feel like I've talked about this before on the podcast. And then once I learned to do that, just read big chunks of the Bible and experience it the way it was originally meant to be experienced. For instance, going into Paul, instead of taking some verses, maybe to help with you know purity or to help with uh, you know other false doctrines, um, instead of doing that, I would read the whole letter. And then when I read the whole letter, I got something much different than just like when I isolated that one little verse. You know, going into the Old Testament, reading all of the New Te- of the Old Testament. All of the Torah, you know, as much as I could in one go, 
just really changed the way I saw those scriptures, right? It wasn't just about pulling out the commands. There was something much, much different going on here than that. I've heard Tim say, instead of looking for the application, pay closer attention to your response. Hmm, that's good. You know, in many ways, like, getting the Bible into the hands of average people who could just, like, read it, like, changed the world. You know, because originally the Bible was, like, in languages that no one read or no one could read, right? Especially in the history of Christianity. It was in Latin, the language of the church, the language of the educated. And normal people couldn't read their Bibles. But when those Bibles were printed in their languages, it changed the course of history. Because suddenly people could read the stories. It changed them. And I, I want us I want to encourage us to go into our Bibles and let the Bible change us. I like that. Pay more attention to the way you react than what the Bible is trying to tell you. Thanks everyone for joining us today. As always, adios muchachas. And muchachos.